Thanks, Hubert. If you are a King's Kid, you can head on back to your King's Kid class. And we are going to continue our, 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 our uh, journey through Hebrews. We don't have Spanish translation this week. So um, I'll do my best to speak uh, Spanglish, um, which is just really slow English for me. But, um, I, you know, our passage today is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. But I'm going to read from the very beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> so, Randy, you could, you could lock and load the scripture, but the first few passages you're not going to see up there. But I just think it so much goes with the theme of today's uh, sermon, which is one of the most famous themes uh, and, and favorites of everybody, and that is suffering. Um, so we're going to read from chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 first, and then we'll jump into our passage. So it says, therefore, and again, he's talking about all the stuff before that as it relates to faith. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> for consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now our passage for today, <clears throat> you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? This is from Proverbs 3, 11, 12. This is in caps. When you see it in caps, you could, that's from the Old Testament. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. That sounds fun. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much respect and or be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet for those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. And we've seen this, we've known this in our own life. For myself, until I was about 17 or 18 years old, I felt that the world owed me everything. I felt that life was supposed to be easy. I tried to do everything quick, get quick fixes, make money quick, doing things illegally even sometimes to do that. 
And I realized that there was a very consistent pattern in my life. And that pattern consisted of me failing miserably. Losing relationships, messing up relationships. Um, from the time I was probably 17 or maybe 14 to 18, I had 20 different jobs, did pretty much everything. If I didn't like it, I would quit. Um, and sometimes even at one time, I believe, I got fired. And that was at 84 Lumber because I got myself in, into like a Home Depot, which was just not a good match for myself because I had no idea even how to turn a screwdriver, yet I did that job. And so one day being so frustrated, I lived on my own since I had been about 16. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble and I'm going to figure out how to be successful. And I went to the success you know, place in Barnes and Noble, personal development, success. And I ended up getting an audio tape. And I never, I'll never forget this audio tape because it was four hours long. And the, the, the main theme was, was that it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you could find the right people to surround yourself with and you can discipline yourself to do the things you need to do when you need to do them, the day will come that you could do the things that you want to do when you want to do them. And I said, wow, this, I'm going to really put this to the test. And I did. I started setting goals. And I realized that immediately once I started to set goals, I realized that very quickly those goals had obstacles. Things that would come before me and me achieving even the smallest of goals. And so I figured that I'd have to either do one of two things. I either quit like I used to do for my whole life and blame everybody else and be a victim. Or I said, what happens if I push through? And so I started to do that. But one thing that I realized that accompanied the pushing through was that it was painful. It was it was it involved suffering, doing things that were uncomfortable, getting up early, doing um, uh, little menial tasks, trying to be faithful in little things. And thankfully, even though I didn't know the Lord that time, he taught me to do this, to overcome and to be able to endure suffering. And now when I look at my life as a Christian, and especially when I even try to listen, barely do I listen to Christian radio, but oftentimes I do, I, I notice that there's a, a lot of times there's a theme of the goodness of God, which there's certainly many, millions of things that we could read and talk about that, but very little do we hear about suffering. And if we do hear about suffering, it's never God's fault. It's always something that we've done or... It's always some exterior force, or at best, God allows it as almost like he's not has anything involved. He's not involved in the suffering. It's some other entity that's causing it. And God is just going, all right, I'm going to allow this to happen, which I don't believe is biblical. I believe that God, like that audio tape that I listened to that so many years ago, God has a strategy to make you a successful Christian. And part of that strategy is to make you suffer. And he doesn't do it in a way as an evil tyrant, as we're going to look at. He does it 
as a loving as a loving parent. And how you handle your suffering is going to determine how God uses you in your life. How you handle the suffering that you intend, that you get every single day even when it comes to small things is going to determine your growth as a Christian. <clears throat> it says here that we have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in our striving against sin. This tells me that God uses suffering to discipline us because of our sin. Every single one of us here has sins that you are fighting with right this very second. And God is gracious and he's loving, but I'm telling you now, he's going to get you to see that sin and he wants you to eliminate that sin out of your life so that way he can make you be what he intended you to be. The Hebrews, what they were dealing with is they were saying, why are we suffering so much? Why are we being excommunicated from our community? Why doesn't everybody understand about this Jesus? Why are people going back to the Old Testament system and, and, and apostatizing? Why am I getting beaten for my faith? Why are people coming and arresting my family? And the, the, our writer says, well, listen, you, you haven't resisted like Jesus did. Like Jesus was completely innocent. He was completely 100% not guilty. And he was unoffended by the hostility that he received from sinners. You know what unoffended means? It means you're just, you're unoffendable. You don't let it penetrate you. You don't let it dictate your thoughts towards the other person. You sort of let it roll off like water off a duck's back. It just beads up and it just rolls off. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He endured it. Now these people were sinners. Jesus wasn't. So he's telling them, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And by the way, you have a short memory. Have you forgotten the exhortation? What is addressed, as, what is addressed to you as sons? Now I don't know about you, but I'm a spanker. I am. I'm a spanker. My wife and I are spankers. We've been spankers, uh, you know, since, since we've had our children. And, and um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's very easy to do it if we do it as the world does it. The world will do it out of anger and rage and revenge. But if you're a Christian spanker, you don't do it because of anger, revenge, or rage, you do it out of love for your child. You do it out of love. Of course, the Bible talks about doing this, but it says, do not regard, like this is what's told, this is what God told you, Hebrews, as sons, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So you're suffering right now, don't brush it off. Don't just say, hey, I'm suffering and it must just be something, something else, somebody else's fault. No, suffering is the language that God uses to communicate to you, to shape you, to mold you into who he wants you to be, and to take away and to get of the sin eradicated out of your life 
and make you more and more holy. And he does it out of love. And this is one of the biggest objections we'll get on the street when we speak to people is why does God allow suffering? Why does he allow this to happen? And it's very difficult to share with somebody, especially if they're a non-believer, that he allows it out of love. But the, re- but the one way and the one reason I can say that with a straight face boldly is because of the cross. Because if any time I look and I say, I'm a victim, or I say, why is wrong happening, or I was innocent and this happened, or I'm suffering, or whatever the case may be, everything is rectified at the innocent man hanging on the bloody cross for the sins and the love of others. Every single wrong that has ever been committed against you by any person is going to be settled either at the cross, because that person's going to come to the cross and get forgiveness, as much as that may not entertain you so much. They're forgiven, or they're going to stand before God, and God is going to judge them for that sin, and they're going to spend their eternity in hell, paying for those sins. And so the, the cross makes every single wrong right. So we can approach suffering with that mindset, not with a mindset of a tyrant, angry God trying to get revenge. No, we approach the cross like a son that's sent to his room, sent for that spanking, right? Notice I said son. I may have spanked my daughters four or five times their whole life, and my son's four or five times this week. Okay? Those of you who have boys know what, you're ta- what I'm talking about. But you know the one thing about spanking before Dyfus is, comes and all that other stuff? <laughs> it's okay. Bring, bring them on. It's fine. Is that you can never, it's, it's never done in anger, right? But you never, we never spank and we never discipline our children as a way to punish them. And that's important. See, if you're trying to discipline your children and you're punishing them when you, when you discipline them, that's wrong. And I hate even using, and I'm guilty of using them the word, you know, you're going to be punished because that's not the intention of us disciplining our children. It's to teach them. It's to admonish them. It's to guide them in the right direction. And where do we get that from? We get that from God. He, when he gives and inflicts suffering in your life, it's not as a punishment. He's not punishing you for something you did wrong. He's not saying, you're suffering right now because I'm angry at you because you committed that sin back there and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to punish you for this. No, that's not God. God did that already at the cross to Jesus. He took all of your punishment that you deserve and he put it and laid it on Jesus Christ. And Jesus took that and absorbed it and it absolved it. It's gone. Your sins are now as far as the east is from the west. But your sonship is not gone. God still loves you as a child and he now will continue to discipline you but not to punish you. And so don't Give God the silent treatment when you get punished or when you feel suffering coming on. 
Don't give them the silent treatment. Don't even really try to figure it out. Unless you're in a sin, a lot of times God will we'll experience suffering because of a sin that we're involved in. And God is allowing that suffering to bubble up to the surface so you could see one plus one equals two. If this is how you're going to act, this is what's going to happen as a result of it. And yes, this is going to be ordained by me too. You're going to suffer for doing that sin. Because he scourges every son whom he receives. Do you, this is, again, inescapable. Okay? Do you know what the scourging is? It's the flogging that we've read about in, in the New Testament when Paul said he was flogged three times or four times. What they would do is they would get the three belt straps with whatever uh, particles that they would put on it, and they would flog you on the chest 13 times, and they would flog you on the shoulder and then on the other shoulder, equaling 39 times. 40 minus 1 is what the Jewish tradition was. And so this is what God uses as an example to show what he does to you as his child. This is serious. It's serious stuff. It's, it's, it's scary. But God wants us to understand that this is not done out of hate. It's not done out of anger. It's done because he has to, his goal and purpose is to restore you to that vocation that he gave you back in the garden. I say you, I mean our headship, right? Adam, that vocation that he was given to take dominion, to go out, subdue. And then Jesus coming, being that second Adam, Jesus is now, he's, he's taken on that vocation. He's defeated sin. He's returned it, the headship now. He's shifted it under to him. Who He's pure. He's blameless. And now what does he do? He reiterates that mandate from the garden, doesn't he? And when he ascended up to heaven, what did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now, let's get back to the business of garden business. Let's take this out into the nations. Let's disciple the nations. That was the intention for that garden to be pushed out into the world. So now we could never do that because we weren't made right. So he had to make us right so we could make the world right. And so what, did he, what does he do is he has to still individually with all his children shape us into those people to make us right so we can go out and make the world right. And he gives us the example all through the Bible. If you look, this is a microcosm. Israel really is a microcosm of everything I'm talking to you about. If you've studied the Old Testament and you've seen what Israel went through, I mean, we even read that Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, he was told by God, he was said, look, you know, your people are going to be put into bondage and captivity. Just out of the blue. It's like Abraham and God were, they were best friends, getting all sorts of promises. Abraham is going to populate the whole world with the seed of Christ. The whole world's going to be full of his glory. And oh, by the way, your people, you know, the ones that I'm talking about that are going to populate the whole world, yeah, we're going to put them into captivity for 400 and some years. Okay. Why did he do that? He did that 
to prepare them. He did it to prepare them. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2, 3, and 5, he says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, he let you be hungry, he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man doesn't live by bread alone. Again, the purpose here, okay, the shaping, the teaching, the discipline, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Thus you are to know, this is to us too, you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So Israel was that picture of what it is we are now going through as children. I mean, it doesn't stop there. We have the exiles. That they were put into exile for 70 years. And then we see Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. What, what is that scripture about in its immediate context? Is the suffering servant of Israel. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgression. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. That was the suffering servant. And in, in Jewish theology, they look at that as representing Israel for their sins. There's this servant. There's this, there's this picture, this symbol of Israel getting scourged for their sins. Now, we know that Jesus embodied that suffering servant. He embodied Israel at the cross. He took on all of their sins. And he purged that sin, all the sin that was there to give them once and for all freedom from exile. See, freedom from exile and forgiveness of sins were the same thing to the people of Israel. They knew they would not come out of exile until they were completely forgiven by God. The law wasn't making it work. They were waiting for the king to come. What was the king going to do? He was going to sit on the throne. He was going to make Israel the light of the world. But they knew that Israel had to be made right before they could make the world right. And God did that in Christ. And so that's just the foundation. Now that we're in Christ, that doesn't mean we escape the shaping. So when you come to Christ, you're like a wet ball of clay. And you need to be shaped. And oftentimes we run, we, we, we reject that water and we harden and God has to add more water or crush us down and real or chip us away. And that's what a lot of us are going through right now. But what God wants you to do is submit and surrender to this and not try to connect all the dots and ask all the whys. I know some of you have had suffering beyond suffering, right? How are you going to choose to look at that? Are you going to say to yourself, this is, a, this is I believe, in direct proportion, the suffering that you have is in direct proportion to the glory that you are going to see as a result of that suffering. It's going to produce, what does it say here? It's going to produce a peaceful fruit of righteousness. It always happens that way. Peaceful fruit. You're going to see other lives get changed. Righteousness. You are going to be made more and more right with God. 
you're going to live a more pure and holy life with God. That's what spanking does. It purges the conscience. You see, that's why the, when you look, in, when you look in, the, in the scriptures about all the different uh, scriptures on disciplining our children, you see it becomes very clear that parenting discipline is something that is to help the child purge their conscience. Okay? So what ends up happening is, is the child is not able to... Dis- like we, if we do something wrong... We can repent of it. We can, we can go to the blood of Christ and we could purge ourselves. But a child, the, the picture here is that a child is unable to dispense that guilt. They're unable to dispense that sin that they've committed. They're not able to purge that conscience. And that's why the Bible says, He who withholds the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Right, And so you may say, well, I don't want to spank my child. And again, you could choose what you want to do, but I don't want to spank my child because if I do, then they're going to end up hating me. No, I say, if you don't, they're going to end up hating you. Remember in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they what? Comfort me. It's a form of security. It's a form of love if it's done correctly. If it's done in love. There's times where my children get me so angry that my veins are popping out in my neck and I'll start to dispense like royal punishments out. Like, you know, Christmas is canceled, Easter's canceled, life is over for you as you now know it, you're never going out again, you know, that's in my heart, right? But again, that's, that's wrong. And so what I have to do is I have to withhold that. The time isn't right for the spanking during that time. And then when, when things calm down and I can reason with the child, that's when I will dispense punishment, not punishment, but discipline. And so in every single time it happens, there's always the peaceable fruit of righteousness afterwards. And so I consider you, to, those of you especially who are young, who have children, who are going to be having children, study these things because foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child but the rod of discipline will take it and move it far from them. There's so many different things and so many different passages about it. But again, how does this apply to us? By God giving us the rod through the suffering is the same thing. I don't know how it would be as if I went out there and started sinning and doing all my stuff and God doesn't care. That would be scary. You know, people, when people come to me because I'm a pastor and they'll confess sin, you know, not in a Roman Catholic sense, but, you know, I'm really not doing well. And, uh, you know, uh, I need to talk to somebody about this. You know, I'm afraid that I'm not a Christian anymore. You know, how can I be a Christian when I'm doing this? You know, and if you've been a Christian any long, long, you know, the answer to that question, right? That is the proof. That you have that you are a child because you are concerned about how your parent is looking at you you know the parent the sons and the children that walk away and and they're thumbing their nose at their parents and they're rebellious and they're cursing them and they want nothing to do with them and they disown them those are the ones that are really in trouble those are the ones we should be concerned about but if you're if you're being disciplined right now through suffering First of all, understand and submit to God, please. 
that it is a form of discipline. And again, it's not in a negative sense. It's a shaping. It's a guiding. He's, he's trying to guide you through it. Endure it, okay? Endure it. This is, it says, it's for discipline that you endure. And it even says, if, you, if you're without discipline, then you're illegitimate children. You're illegitimate sons. Right? And so it's, they, our fathers and our parents, they disciplined us for a short time. But God disciplines us as he sees fit for our good. So that way we may share in his holiness. See, this is important. The holiness of our life is, I think, something that's sort of gotten swept under the carpet, especially with an overemphasis. We, we overemphasize, and rightly so, we want to talk about the grace of God. But God desires us to live a holy life. And so he'll, the discipline that he gives us will, will lend itself, hopefully, after you go through the process, will lend itself for you to start to shed away. That's why I read the beginning of this passage in the beginning. You know, let go of every encumbrance and the sin which so easily weighs you down from running with endurance. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you have a lot of stuff on your back. You're not going to run as fast. And so it's for indiscipline that you endure, right? So you can connect those two things. You want to run the race with endurance, you're, you're, you're running that race for endurance to, to have that repetition. They say repetition is the, is the mother of learning, right? Discipline is the father of action. And so we want to we wanna rep- keep the repetition going. That's really what discipline is about. And so you can't be disciplined in some parts of your life and undisciplined in other parts of your life. I hate to break that to you. You can't. I, know, I, don't, I see it's like trying to sink the front of the ship and not the back of the ship. And so if you're looking to discipline your life more, then you need to start to practice suffering. Okay? I'm going to give you a, a workout routine to practice suffering. Okay? And I, and I love working out physically because that teaches me to go into the pain zone. Right? And, and when I train somebody, I say, if you're not telling your body that it's about to die when you're doing that set, then it's not going to grow or respond. And that's the same with disciplining ourselves. We have to upset our apple cart. And one of the main things you could do right away is start getting up at the same time every single day. You know, it's fine like you, you like to sleep. I know a lot of you young people, like my kids, if I don't wake them up, they'll stay in bed till three, four o'clock in the afternoon. They would. They'll say three, four o'clock in the afternoon. They would just go. And I don't like waking them up. I want them to learn to wake up on themselves. So I like when they oversleep and miss stuff. Because I want them to miss it. You missed it. Sorry, you, didn't, you were supposed to go. I leave, you in, I leave you in bed. Okay? But if you get yourself up early in the morning, no matter what, your day's off, even if you have a day off, let's say your day off is Saturday. You're used to getting up every morning at, let's say, 7 o'clock. Set your alarm every day for 6 o'clock. Make it painful. Get up an hour early. Fill that time with reading the Word, praying, getting work done, whatever it is you want to do. Saturday comes, get up at 6 o'clock too. And then if you want to nap at 10 o'clock, do that. But discipline yourself to get up early in the morning. 
And this is something that I think is so incredibly important because it sets your whole day off in the right direction. Because when you sleep late, you feel unproductive, you feel groggy all day, and you're going to be less disciplined with doing the things you should be doing throughout the day. And so getting yourself up early in the morning for me is the number one thing, I think, in terms of setting that discipline in order. Now, the other thing is what you have to do is you have to look at, you know, reverse it. What's the opposite of discipline? Chaos. Disorder. Neglect. Confusion. I'm really not one to talk. If you come into my office, you'll see it's, it looks very disordered and confused. I have books everywhere, papers everywhere. But if my wife walks in and she touches one little thing, I'm like, what are you doing? Don't touch that. You know, it's perfectly disordered, right? Have order in your workspace. Have order in your life. Clean your room. Make your bed. Clean up that spare room that you look at every single day that makes you think like a loser. I gotta, I gotta clean this, I gotta do that. Go outside, do the different things. Whatever it is you have to do, realize that chaos and disorder are lending itself against a disciplined life. Because again, guys, we're, this, a lot of us look at salvation and we detach it from regular life. We take our salvation and we detach it. Yes, it's... It's salvation is heaven up here and gone. We're going to, when we die, we're going to have it. And yes, I have the joy of the Lord and all that, but it's not, it's intimately connected with every aspect of your life. So if you're not this, if you try to be disciplined by getting up every morning or, or reading the Bible or listening to the Bible and doing all that stuff, but you're all, all the other aspects of your life are in disarray and chaos, you're going to see, you're not going to see and yield that peaceable fruit of righteousness. So you will experience this in your life, this, this, this concept of suffering. Remember what Job said, we, we, you know, God, he does it, but he also is gracious too to lift that hand. He knows what we can handle. He knows how to deal with each one of us. Don't be afraid when you are under the discipline of the Lord, when you are going through those times of suffering. Don't fear it. And, real, and feel you're being abandoned by God. I, I mean, that's something that is very easy to do, especially if you go through a, a long season of that. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. And so ultimately, we have to go back to the very beginning, and that is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And that's really the discipline that needs to be number one. Where are you at with Christ? Where are you with your walk with Jesus Christ right now? Is he some distant idea over here that used to be close to you, but now all of a sudden is, you know, you, you've gotten busy in your life and now he's sort of over here? Well, that right there is something. If you're God's child, he's brought you here today to know that you need to put Jesus Christ first and foremost in front of your life. That's why you're here. We talked about it in Sunday Bible study today. Your goal in life isn't to be happy. That's not the goal in life. If you're extremely happy and extremely rich, big deal if you don't have Christ. The, the number one most ultimate purpose that you have as a human being through this, you know, however many years you're, you live here that goes like that is to know God. If you know Jesus Christ, 
you are a success. You are going to be used. So make sure you know him. Lay aside the sin that you're hanging on to that's keeping you from thinking, oh, I can't do this because I, gotta, I have to hang on to this sin. And, and, if I, and if I let go of that, I have to just let it go. There's where faith really comes into clear picture is when you let go and walk through that dark door. And then you're like, there's that peaceable fruit. So I encourage you, some of you are visiting here, if you don't know Christ, talk to someone before you leave, but really talk to Christ. You don't need to talk to me or anybody else. Talk to Christ. Give him your life. Tell him you're settling the issue. It's time to get real with Christ. And again, know that you've entered in to a battle. Okay, but it's the most rewarding battle. Trust me, you don't want to live an easy old life and then get to Christ and stand before him and him not look and him look at you and say, I, I don't know you. But Lord, I did miracles. I went to church. I helped this. I helped that. I never knew. I never knew you. Underline knew. And to know him isn't to be a good person. To know him is to be a humble person. And just admit that you're a sinner, admit that you do need a, sal- a savior, and admit that you were created for a purpose by him, and now give your life over to him and watch what happens. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this time that, that you opened up your word about this topic, this difficult topic, Lord, of suffering. I pray, Lord, that um, it wasn't downplayed. I, I pray that you are, you're pleased with it. I ask, Lord, that if there is anyone here that your Holy Spirit would get a hold of them that doesn't know you, they would get a hold of them, Lord, and that it would just open their eyes, just give them the glimpse of the cross, which maybe before today looked, looked ugly, maybe it looked hard, it looked, it looked like it would hurt, but, but now open it and, and allow them to embrace it, Lord, with the forgiveness that's offered there. In Jesus' name, amen.